And today, TSMC has announced a second major investment. They'll construct a second fab here in Phoenix to build chips, the three nano chips, the three nano chip, chips and the three nano. And you know what I'm saying. Democrats were shuddering privately just a few days ago about how big the margin was going to be. Republicans were predicting a red wave, but they may end up with the same slim majority Democrats have had for the last two years. We are going to take the House back. But we've got so much more to do, and I have only begun to fight. You and I have a rendezvous with destiny. We'll preserve for our children this, the last best hope of man. On- Welcome back to the Ruthless Variety program on a big Thursday. We're high energy here today. Uh, congratulations to the Republican Party who managed to lose to the guy who can't say nano chip. <laughs> it's incredible. Like, uh, Tough. At, at this point, when is someone in the Biden administration going to be like, okay, I mean, well, they have a tough choice because Kamala's on, you know, she's, she's on deck. And you really want to deal with that? So. Why would they change? Why would they change? <laughs> Nothing but success for these clowns. It's been working out. Right? I, I apologize to our listeners. Uh, Holmes uh, ate a black pill before <laughs> recording today. <laughs> <laughs> well, listen, I'm being a little tongue-in-cheek. Uh, we're going to get into this in some depth here today. But I want to make it fun and interesting. Look, I, I've always found in a lot of years of doing this, that the best results that a party has in terms of improving its pitch, improving who it is, who it is, sort of getting back to what conservatism is and and representing the people who are, you know, true blue Republicans, it comes after you bounce off the bottom. Yeah, yeah, I think that's true. You know, and I, and I feel like Tuesday night felt a lot like the rock of the bottom. Very, very difficult night. Right. I mean, of course, we're talking about the loss uh, in Georgia for the second cycle in a row. That's three Senate seats in two years. Um, It was sort of a disaster in every possible way. I feel like we gave everybody a little bit of a preview uh, on Tuesday based on sort of our analysis of what was going to happen, of what was going to happen. But I will say this. I will say this. Um, It's not all terrible. Uh... I think Herschel Walker was not equipped to run for Senate. I said so publicly. Uh, I mean, there's a reason why he wasn't on the Variety program. They took some exception to that. But I will say I do think he's a good man. And and I think he was a, a upstanding guy who, in the face of a torrent of media criticism, and the entire world landed on his head. It was insane. Right? It was insane. And he kept going. He kept charging like a total patriot. He was trying his very best to try to win that Senate seat and represent the people for the right reasons. I think his team put a shoulder to the wheel, and despite the fact that they were getting their heads kicked in on a day-to-day basis, I think they did a. I think they did an admirable job. I they, really do. They did, and his concession speech showed a lot of class. It, it really did. It's the kind of thing that you like to see and you want somebody like that to be a part of the party going forward. Yeah. You know, anybody who says basically like, don't don't lose your spirit. Believe in America. Believe in what we're trying to accomplish at a moment and with a smile on his face mm-hmm. in the moment of just a public defeat. And I liked, I liked the part in particular when he was like, you know, I won the Heisman Trophy. I've had success in business. I've done some amazing things in my life. The thing I'm most proud of was meeting all of you. 
Yeah. You know? I mean, yeah. that's that's a real classy move from a guy who's at a real tough point. You, you know, don't know. Night. You don't know what that feels like. I don't know what that feels like. Yeah. To stand in front of millions of people. Right. Basically, the whole country watching it. Yeah. And you got beat. And how do you conduct yourself? Yeah. And it's a moment of real character. It reveals a lot of character. And I thought his character really couldn't be questioned at that point. I mean, it, everything that's been dug up and slammed against him and slandered his personality and who he is and his background and everything else, I felt like he put that to rest on Tuesday, unfortunately, in a losing circumstance. So I mean, what was your take? I mean, that's the thing is, uh, I think the takeaway of, of about Herschel is just the strength of, of, of that individual. I mean, you see it with his record of success, you know, um, whether it was from college football being an all-star, being an all-star in the NFL, and how in the face of, like you said, an absolute tidal wave of being attacked on a daily basis politically, personally, for over a year. Yeah, and outspent, what, three three to one in the runoff? Oh, minimum. Yeah. At minimum. On Canada dollars. Like yeah. folks in Georgia told me they're like, I can't watch any show on TV, I can't watch any YouTube video without ads saying that Herschel Walker is the worst human to walk this planet. So like everyone in your home state is being drilled with ads saying that you're the worst thing to ever happen. And he remains to the end a happy warrior fighting as hard as he can. Totally. Right? And there's some good things that came out of it. You know, I thought first of all, Governor Kemp and his, t- and his team yeah. deserve a ton of credit, right? They had nothing to gain and everything to lose by putting their shoulder to the wheel and trying to help as best they could a fellow Republican for the good of the country. And they did it, no questions asked. They did everything. And um, I thought that they were an incredibly important part. You know, you looked at some of the polling going into Election Day, and, you know, I was privy to some internal polling and some external polling and basically everything looked like Herschel had a lead going into November election. The question was whether he was going to get to that 50% mark. Their campaign, I think others had them above the 50% mark and it underperformed, right? It was it was in the 49 uh, level as was Warnock and the, why it went to the, the runoff. When you fast forward, um, he was trailing pretty consistently throughout the runoff. And their ground game and what they put into that outperformed where the polling was by a point and a half. It's a three point, that is, that's a three-point swing. That's one thing I definitely noticed. Right? And like I've said many times in the show, I'm a firm believer in ground game. And it is extremely, extremely clear that that Kemp team knows what they're doing. Because I saw polling that had Herschel down, like you just said, by way more than election night. And it's ground game that makes up those numbers when you're closing. Yeah, and they did it, and they did it um, just in, with with no questions asked. Like I said, they just did it for the for the good of the country. So thanks for them. And I think maybe there's some new models there, right? Now there's a partnerships maybe between ground games and super PACs and some things mm-hmm. that Republicans are going to need to figure out. Obviously, people need to change the model, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. We are yes. not comfortable with losing elections. We're going to get into that later on in the show. But look, we're gonna have a we're gonna have fun here too. I know we've got a sponsor here today, Duncan. Yeah, we do. We have Rumble Up back on the Variety program. Uh, Thomas Peters, uh, who's the CEO over there. <clears throat> uh, for those of you who might not be familiar with Rumble Up, 
uh, premier GOP texting platform used by you know all the big players, the NRCC, the NRSC, RGA, RSLC, uh, texting service, right? Um, you know, we've used uh, Rumble up a lot at, at Cavalry at our consulting firm uh, for everything from, you know, GOTV uh, to persuasion to, you know, absentee, uh, you know, mail-in voting uh, and GOTV on election day, right? Like the kind of thing we're going to need more a of. A lot more of. It's very important. <laughs> right. I think it's very important that Thomas is back on on the show because I think he provides a unique insight where he works in the ecosystem to be able to say, like, here's what we should be doing differently. Here's what we should be doing more of. Here's what we should be doing more early. Um, so I hope people stick around for that. Yeah, no, that's good. That's really good. Uh, let's do some five stars before we get into it. Let's do it. Should start with the voice. Okay, this one comes from S44 with a wink emoji. Nice. Titled Informative and Fun, Give It a Try. I've been listening for around a year now. I'm always pumped when I see the program and my podcast feed. And my husband and I have podcast dates to listen together. No, nice. I love that. Yeah. We often have to pause the podcast so we can stop and laugh. Keep fighting the good fight, fellas. Yeah, I love it. Yeah, thanks, I got to tell you, that is honestly one of the best things you can do is, you know, make a nice meal at home, put on some candlelight, throw on the show, have, have a good time. Yeah. yeah. Have a good time. Bring the family together. And if intimacy follows to the voice of Smug, so be it. We are a family program. <laughs> Literally. Yeah. <laughs> a make a family program. Uh, Duncan. This is from ATJSAJ. Uh, Wesley Hunt, what a great guy. I wish, have, I, wish I could have voted for him. Yeah. Yeah, um, well, we all do. That right? guy is just an absolute rock star. We love having him on the program. Maybe someday. Very, very, very. Uh, yeah, well, maybe. You never know. Like I said, he, he has relatives in Iowa. If he keeps showing up there, people are going get, <laughs> to get the wrong idea. Uh, and, and Smug, if you had another week of... Of, uh, I wish I could have been on the show with him. <laughs> yeah. If you had another week of illness, I, I would have a free feeling Wesley was eyeing your chair. Uh, Smug, you want this last one? Absolutely. So this is from Obreza. It says, hilarious and sharp podcast. I also d- discovered Ruthless as a Megan Kelly listener. I was hooked when I heard the knock three times riff. <laughs> I mean, that was really, that was all Duncan, right? Yeah, it was. Outstanding work. I couldn't stop laughing. I also learned from the host and excellent guests. Thank you for such a funny and sharp podcast. Baby lasagna, I laughed until I cried at that one. <laughs> I love the Ruthless podcast more each time I listen. Heard you on Megan Kelly again. Always a fan. Thank you for your incredibly sharp and always witty shows. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, yeah, it's awesome. great. And I got to give credit for not three times. You had Hollywood Hen doing the pipe. She hit the yeah, p- We actually had sound. brought a pipe in for the knocks. And, and Angry Redskins fan. Was what he lended his he own vocal yeah. vocal pipes for that recording? You're right. I forgot yeah, that angry the, oh, I can't, oh, like, oh my darling, can't take all the credit. No, no, there was no, a full team good. effort. Yeah. A full team effort. Okay, well, Michael, you had a wonderful interview today. Why don't you tell everybody about what they're going to hear? Yeah, Thomas Peters, Rumble Up, a great friend of the program, an avid listener. Let's get right to it. I want to welcome to the program the CEO of Rumble Up, Thomas Peters. How are you? Doing well. Good to be back. Um, yeah, no, it's great. It's great to have you back. Um, you know, because there's obviously a lot of after-action reports going on right now. A lot of autopsies of uh, what went right, what went wrong. Um, 
you know, with with the red wave that never came to shore. Uh, and, you know, it's just great to get your perspective as, as somebody who works, um, you know, a, as a texting company with tons and tons of campaigns that utilize your tools for everything from fundraising, persuasion uh, to GOTV, uh, early vote, absentee and election day. Um, <clears throat> you know, what what did what did we do right? What did we do wrong uh, in this midterm from a texting standpoint? We did a lot of both. Um, you know, one of the things that came to me in preparing to have this chat is what we uh, talked about last time when you said that texting is a way to manufacture runs. And that's absolutely the case. It's something that Republican campaigns did really well in 2020 during COVID. They, uh, because of all the changes that were happening um, and so much more mail-in balloting happening, they had to use texting to communicate with their audiences for you know six plus weeks before at the actual election day unfortunately what we saw in 2022 was republican campaigns uh, thought that they could just go back to the way that they had done things before covid and they waited in general way too long to start that gotv texting phase so much so that our team had to get involved with a lot of campaigns and try to basically get them all set up and ready to go. And it was very frustrating to find like how many campaigns had just not thought through their GOTV texting plans, or it was like an afterthought. So that's not all campaigns, but I think that's definitely a, my number one area for improvement for 2024 is we have to think of tech, we have to think of GOTV as a much bigger window than a lot of campaigns did this cycle. Well, I think, you know, part of it is it's two problems, right? You've got you've got the problem of people not utilizing the tactics for you know the the world as it is today, you know, with with mail in voting or you know the 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 larger you know early vote that we have now in in elections, but then also outside of the tactical implementation of something like texting like you know, budgeting, you know, making sure that this is a line item in your budget for GOTV that's funded, right? I mean, like that's, that's got to be something that, that y'all deal with as well. It absolutely is. And again, I think we've talked about, not say again, but like it's an important point to reemphasize. Uh, texting does not get the first bite at the budget pie. Um, <laughs> it gets the lights, gets the leavings. Uh, so much so, even campaigns would, would say like, well, we're going to determine how much texting we're going to do based on how much money is left in the bank after we make our final TV placements. That's just the, the wrong order to go about things. And we saw this in 2020 when campaigns invested heavily in texting. I mentioned, you know, eight out of the 10 congressional races that Republicans won by less than 10,000 votes, they invested heavily in texting and texting made the difference. That's not the same story, unfortunately, in 2022, where we lost an agonizing number of races by such slim margins where a robust or even, you know, basic texting program, I think would have made that difference, not just in pulling um, lesser uh, persuadable, you know, uh, lower propensity voters across the finish line, but just making sure that your base turns out, making sure that your your base is where you think it is um, with enough time to adjust if it's not. Yeah. Yeah. So that's the bad news. Um, but, you know, working with as many campaigns as, as, as 
y'all did i know you worked with like 12 senate races five gubernatorial races like almost 50 house house races what were some of the interesting or innovative tactics you saw campaigns you know using to engage with voters through through texting we saw a lot more use of high quality video texting which is always a great thing to see um if you're going to connect with people do it in a high quality fashion you know it's sort of like what the metaphor I used to you know make sure the person knocking on that person's door is a nice person that you actually want to be the face of your campaign. And especially with so much uh, fundraising texting bouncing around, you wanna differentiate yourself from that for the GOT and persuasion side and stuff. So that was really good to see. Um, You know, the more campaigns invest in having their own unique voice, the more authentic the text messaging campaigns are, and the more that they allow their volunteers, and here the congressional campaigns, again, I think are really good at this in general, um, the more they actually allow their volunteers to have two-way conversations, that always is a great thing to see and translates really well. We had some really phenomenal uh, congressional campaigns out in California who have now racked up back-to-back wins um, using texting as more of a community organizing tool. Wow! So that's really great to see. It's something that statewide campaigns still have to close the gap on. I think statewide field um, is not quite as localized when it comes to their texting programs as they need to be. Um, it's a it's a scale challenge, but I think that's a great area for improvement. Wow! And I mean, in California, you know, with ballot harvesting and all of those sorts of things, you know, if you're not running a texting program, like, you know, how are you going to chase those ballots? How are you going to get them, from, you know, back from people or get people to early vote if you're not playing that game, right? Exactly. No, I think the California campaigns, because they've been living under this for, for so long, have really adapted to it. Um, the, the I think all campaigns need to think of themselves as ballot harvesting campaigns going forward. Yeah. Yeah. No, absolutely. And, you know, it used to be, you know, when candidates, the the reason why I love the, the, the video uh, texting, uh, which you mentioned earlier is, is, you know, used to be like, Oh, if you just ran your TV ad on Fox news, like you'd be doing events and people would say, Oh, I saw your, your ad, your ad looks great, you know, to the candidate or whatever. But like, now you can just you know text it to that that voter file universe and then everybody's going to have seen it right and so it's like i've i've always loved using it for that persuasion standpoint or even just to sort of like mobilize uh your voters uh because it's like they get direct direct into their phone the face of the candidate saying a positive thing about why they're running and why you need their vote yeah it's um it doesn't have to be uh even that produced video for TV. Right. We had a lot more success this cycle with getting the candidate just to do straight to, you know, straight to camera using their, their, their uh, smartphone. Um, we even had to change our, our filtering uh, tools in the video to optimize better for vertical video because that's what's king on these other like newer social uh, networks like TikTok, which I don't use because it's Chinese propaganda. Um, <laughs> but lots of uh, you know Instagram and, and Facebook are all trying to change their uh, algorithms. YouTube's really good about this uh, to change their algorithms to be vertical video first. So with texting and uh, video and text, campaigns can do that very easily. 
people want to see the face of the person they're voting for. And it's extremely powerful to have a politician, a candidate, stare directly from their phone into yours and ask for your vote. Like that's just, that's the power of, of uh, personal connection. And uh, texting uh, video of that is, I think, going to be one of the big, um, it's going to be one of the things that we're going to be showcasing next year to implant the idea early uh, for campaigns announcing for 2024. Nice. Nice. Yeah. I mean, there's just some authenticity there, especially with the campaigns that are allowing volunteers to sort of manage these two-way conversations with voters and really personalize it. Like, I love that. That's great. I'm curious, you know, what are some of the best replies that your clients have gotten from voters over, uh, over the cycle? There have been some good ones. One of them was nice, actually. So we we use our tool uh, to text with our own clients, so they can text with us, and that's really helpful in you know the final forty eight hours in the crunch time. So we texted um, some GOTV encouragement out to our clients uh, day of the election, and one of our own clients texted back, you know, let's get this bread. Big res- big respects to the rapid response team, which is our internal. Uh, team that's in charge of like making sure basically they don't sleep um, so that they can be <laughs> available and ready for every time our client needs something. Nice. So it's cool to see our own product like being used and people who are running campaigns and you know on election day being accessible to them via text and vice versa. Um, I'd say some of the fun stuff is when you have that back and forth. So um, there was a conversation I saw with a swing voter where the voter asked in response to the GOTV message, well, okay, who's better? The Doors or Led Zeppelin? <laughs> the campaign volunteer you know, responded and said, the question's not fair, but I'm going to have to go with Led Zeppelin for sure. And the voter said, sorry, the Doors are far superior. You had a chance to light my fire with your candidate, but inst- obviously we had a communication breakdown. <laughs> <laughs> the campaign had to have the last word they said well what can i say at this campaign we've got a whole lot of love whether you vote for our guy or not so it's that kind of stuff that makes you know makes the cold text into a warm i tell you it's better than getting the door slammed in your face <laughs> doors. you know when you're door knocking yeah um that's great that's great yeah so i mean you know moving forward here um, if you, you know, if you had to give campaigns, um, you know, two or three things that you would say in summation, we need to do better, what would it be? So I'm going to keep myself really focused narrowly on the texting world that I know something about, or certainly our clients and partners have, have done a lot with, and I've seen a lot. I'm going to keep myself away from all the other big picture stuff that I know you and the guys are much better at tearing apart than I am. Um, On the texting side, I think campaigns have to think very carefully about who they hire to do their uh, texting fundraising to make sure that that fundraising texting doesn't spoil the pool for their election, you know, GOTV messages. You know, TV is not a channel, for instance, changing gears. Television is not a channel where people take out ads trying to raise money. They use television to persuade and you know jack up name ID and it works. I think we need to think about texting the same way. Texting is a great channel for personal connection and persuasion. It might not be the best channel for uh, fundraising prospecting. So that's number one. 
Number two is you have to build a relationship before you go in for the hard ask. Um, texting sooner and about issues and especially open-ended questions, asking people, are they registered to vote? Do they care about this issue? That's all really good. And third is think about your GOTV as a window, not as a weekend. Nice. I like that. I'm going to steal that last one. <laughs> well, I appreciate you coming on, Thomas. It's always great to chat with you. Um, you know, appreciate it. Absolutely. Um, it was a fantastic cycle. Don't get me wrong. Won the house. Um, we work with mo- more campaigns than ever. And uh, it's only when you get disappointments that you're really forced to like have that introspection and come back stronger than ever. It's something that I and the team have been doing. So, you know, we're, we uh, are just getting started. And uh, this is an important part of that process is talking it through. Absolutely. Heck of a silver lining there. And thank you for the optimism. I, I appreciate it for sure. <laughs> All right. I'll talk to you. Take care. Be well. See ya. All right. Let's go on to Georgia here for a second. Um, there's a bunch of interesting stuff that, that happened. I mean, look, we've covered over the last month everything that went wrong in November. And obviously that stuff follows you, right? When you have underperforming committees, uh, and in this case, I think the National Republican Senatorial Committee spent $500,000 on a TV ad the first week and then basically went away. Best I could tell, they went back down there to attend an SEC championship game, and that was about it. I saw that photo. Right? Um, but that's that's the legacy that, that is, they've got. I mean, that's frustrating, dude. Did right. y'all see this? It was getting sent around. Yeah. That, like the NRSC, the, it was the weekend before. The, yeah. They were at a football game. Mm-hmm. Instead, like... Yeah, like it the, sucks. The, like the opposite of what I mean, that really sucks. Of what Kemp and his team did with their shoulder. The I mean, I mean, that's the thing is, you know, that's and a they really have good nothing, point. and that's not their job. That's a really right. good point to bring up is because uh, so someone who who's managed campaigns and again who firmly believes in ground game, you know, a good example is a volunteer walks in, right, young, able-bodied individual, and they're like, "I want to help the campaign. What can I do?" And you're like, "Well, able-bodied individual, please, you want to knock doors." That's the hardest thing to do, you know. And uh, you know, if 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 it's a backup, if, if it's an older person, okay, uh, hit the phone. Could you hit make the, the phones? phones. Yeah. Hit the phones, right? Kemp's team spends the weekend doing what sucks. Doing what sucks. Knocking doors when it's cold out in Georgia, and then what's the committee's at a football game, dude? Yeah. If. Yeah, I I mean I would be violently upset. Well, look, it's it, it's a perfect encapsulation to what we have said here for you know a year. We've held our held our tongue and tried to promote what other people were doing to try to win races. But the bottom line is you can't win when you don't have everybody rowing in the same direction. And of course, you're hearing from everybody. Anytime you lose, it's like somebody else's fault. Right. Right. So everyone wears this. Everyone wears this. Yeah. You can't go into a midterm election with a president at 40% approval rating, an economy at 35% in states like Georgia and come out with an L. It should have been tidal wave. Like, yes, it feels great that we have a majority in the House. It feels great we have the same majority that the Dems had for the past two years. We're in the same position as Nancy Pelosi has been in the past two years, except we'll be calling the shots in the House. However, just like Holmes said, given an environment where we have a historically unpopular president, this midterm should have been just a slam fucking dunk. And so let me explain a couple of reasons why publicly you're not hearing uh, this discussion in the right way. 
And part of it comes from a, a gentleman that you unfairly maligned here on the program. <laughs> Uh, you'll recall a few weeks back uh, we were upset about the redistricting process. I'm still kind of upset about it. I am it. still upset about not, it. Not, 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 not the Sununu thing will always upset me. I can go into that if you would like, but I don't want to bring it up again. No, no, no. I get it. Look, there's plenty of people to be upset about. Yeah. The point was that we, we without any education it. whatsoever, the program went in on a gentleman. No, we didn't. We did. I, I was giving some information. Smug, smug went guns blazing. Here's what's happened. I, I'm going to contact this individual. I'll, I'll uh, give him a ring. Uh, I want to hear this information because how you... Oh, he's happy to come on the program. I'm just not sure if you're ready for that. <laughs> well, I, so so you, the way you presented the evidence they had was compelling and yeah. interesting. So we talked off air about the conversations that I had with Adam Kincaid uh, where they talked about the work that he does at the Redistricting Trust and in particular some of the things that they had sort of made observations about in terms of Republican production in midterm elections one of the things that he highlighted for me and i went back and checked all the numbers after our discussion and it's 100 percent true i want to see the numbers yeah no i'm sure i'm happy i actually have them printed out on my desk if you want to go in there I am, I, and i'm gonna call him i'm gonna call him when you see the when you see the north carolina area code mr kincaid that's where it, that's it's not where it spam is. i'm not trying to sell you insurance that's that's it'd be, i want answers it'd be helpful if you started with an apology but but either way um where this starts is for the last 35, 40 years, Republicans have had a net advantage in midterm elections, whether they're in power or not. You recall the last time a party in power picked up seats. It was 2002, a Republican uh, administration, George W. Bush at the time. There has been, other than 06 and 18, a real like high water seat pickup almost every two years for for Republicans in midterms. Part of the reason why is the coalition for Republicans largely consisted of high propensity voters. Mm -hmm. Voters, in other words, that had a more likely than not ability to vote in a midterm election than the de their Democratic counterparts. Yeah, so um, uh, to break it down for folks, high propensity essentially means when you look at a, a voter's record, if they are likely to vote basically it's a like everyone here has heard likely voters like in polls oh you know among likely voters as opposed to registered voters a likely voter has a high propensity because they've vote. had a history of showing up in midterm elections exactly. or they vote in primary they're an engaged voter who you, yep. you have a high likelihood of showing up in a midterm election which is not a presidential election has a lower profile and it requires a level of motivation we don't force everybody to vote in this country so for like 35, 40 years, Republicans have enjoyed an advantage in voters who have a higher propensity to vote than Democrats. Democrats for many years relied on a very unreliable urban vote to make up a coalition that could compete in midterm elections. That piece of it changed during the Trump administration and urban voters turned out at a much higher and have now for three consecutive cycles turned out at a higher propensity than they had for the last, you know, maybe forever. Mm -hmm. The difference is in the Republican coalition, you hear a lot about this, about how Republicans have basically traded your suburban swing voter and your Republican voter, who is traditionally over a many decades voted Republican for a rural working class voter. And in many ways, it makes sense messaging wise because Democrats have basically become a corporate party 
where it's an easy fit. And beyond messaging, I think policy-wise. Yeah, and policy-wise. I think, you know, one of the reasons Trump succeeded in 2016 is because he pointed out that the left has essentially become an instrument of corporate interests and that a significant amount of Americans have been left behind. Exactly right. And so I think we all sort of agree with that instinctively. Everybody listening to this sort of understands that. Um, But the consequence of not dealing with a suburban voter as a core piece of the coalition is that you're trading a voter who has a 75% or higher propensity to vote in a midterm for a voter in the rural working class area of the electorate that has a 55% likelihood of voting in a midterm. Right. Right. So even if you're not dealing, you hear a lot of talk about propensity and you're a lot about uh, the density of, you know, these big suburban counties and the number of votes that Democrats get. That's fine. But in a statewide election, if you do the math and you pair off their votes and, and your votes, there's a certain level that you have to get to in your core counties, your big margin Republican counties to offset urban losses and and when you were describing these numbers to me what made it really interesting is explain so much these examples of razor thin margins yeah so razor thin margins so a perfect example of this is like if you think about gwinnett county in georgia and i'm not going to bore everybody with the details of everything but gwinnett county is a it's a county that romney won by like nine right i think hillary won it by like four six i think four six something like that it's gotten progressively worse for Republicans yeah. since then, and I think Herschel lost it by 22. Yeah. Hmm. The biggest problem, bigger than the margin there, is that those voters, and we'll see, we don't have the final numbers, but it looks to me like they turned out at the same level that they did in the in the November election, which is like a 70 to 75% return. And in raw, That's insane. And, and just in raw total of votes it makes it extremely hard to catch up in the rurals it, it just does it does just a, it's a basic math problem what makes it and, more and difficult is the underperformance and propensity to vote from those rural votes yeah i get it yeah. but, right but, but also from uh, from a geographic simple basic perspective the sense that like our listeners who are uh who live in a rural county you gotta drive you gotta drive for a while yeah to hit that polling station if you are a suburban you make voter, a plan. you're going to hit the elementary school a block half a mile, half a yeah. mile, right? If you're an urban voter, I mean, maybe it's in the building, maybe it's in the building next to you. Right. Yeah. No, I mean, yeah, and look, if you're working two shifts and the night shift, you know, and, and your polling place is 20 miles away, maybe it's more difficult. It is more difficult. Yes. Now, it gets harder to explain, like in Nevada, for example, where we had a lot of experience in this last election cycle, you had again in Clark County in the suburbs of Las Vegas, a 75% plus turnout amongst those suburban voters. And then you go to a place like Elko, which, you know, Adam Laxalt and the Republican ticket had like a 40 point spread between the Republican ticket and Democratic ticket, and the turnout was 57%. What makes it harder to explain is that every single individual who's registered to vote in Nevada has actually sent a ballot yeah. in the mail. Yeah. How the hell you can end up mm. with a 57% voting record when everyone has a ballot in their hands tells me you've got a structural problem Mm. we've talked about brand problems and we'll get into that later 
But the structural problem, and you hear people like Scott Pressler talk about this, yeah, and some on the right have talked about how you know in the wake of the Trump uh, push to sort of demonize mail-in voting and early voting as fraud, that there's a big part of the Republican base that has decided they're not going to participate in that, and we have to undo a lot of that, and and that that is work that needs to be done. But there is a bigger problem here in that somehow people with ballots in hands who have a strong point of view, right? These are probably big Trump supporting counties Mm -hmm. that they are not in a midterm election at 57% returning their ballot that they have in their hand. It's not like they had to go anywhere. It's literally in their hand. We got to pump up those numbers. Those are rookie numbers. We got to pump up. Got to pump up those numbers, right? So that tells me that we're doing something structurally wrong. And there's been a lot of discussion about, you know, RNC's role, NRSC's role, Super PAC's role, candidate and campaign's role. To be honest, I kind of don't care as long as somebody addresses this issue. And there are many places that that have ballot harvesting. There's a lot of talk on the right now like, oh, we got to learn how to ballot harvest. You can't ballot harvest in Georgia. You can't ballot harvest in Georgia. It's outlawed. You can ballot harvest in a place like Nevada. The problem is you got to drive 35 miles between houses. It doesn't work. Mm, That's the reason the Democrats put ballot harvesting into place is because the predominant number of their voters live in apartment buildings or live in urban areas that are right next to each other where you can have a small number of people, by the way, none of which are on the campaign payroll, they're all working for unions or something like that, that go around house to house and pick up the ballots and deliver them like they did in Nevada. Like that's a structural advantage. And when when you have heard us bitching about that, it's not just like an inherent objection to to how that works they've rigged that like they have decided that that is an institutional advantage for democrats in voting and so they put it into law in places where they have democratic majorities in order to have an advantage adam laxalt would be a senator today if it wasn't for ballot harvesting yeah. In Nevada. And, and let me tell you, like, I see, I saw this so many times. Manhattan, I'm telling you, is just a perfect lab for seeing in action the kinds of election laws and policies that Democrats want to put into place. For example, when they tried allowing illegal aliens to vote. But uh, more germane to the topic itself is uh, when you need to collect signatures for, for petitions to get candidates on the ballot. Okay, if you're a Republican, maybe you're going to Staten Island, where you're going to houses, we're going to have to walk or, or drive to get house to house to get signatures from registered Republicans. Democrats have a system where, where they have like a door captain for a building. There's there's 400 people living in a building. You get it past the front door, they just go apartment to apartment and get the signatures. Yeah. They have to walk, you know, 100 feet and right. go collect all the signatures that they need. And Republicans got to organize and figure out, okay, where where are these houses? We have to map it out because it's that significant of a distance to cross. So you're seeing all these institutional advantages that Democrats have learned and, and built. They're they're implementing them. And there's they can. No, and there's no excuses. We know that these are the laws, right? This isn't one of those like Monday morning Correct. quarterback Correct. deals. Where you're looking back and being like, "Oh, they rigged the system." No, this is this is the way it works. So you got to try to figure out how to play it better. Some yep, have, that's right, and some haven't. If those are the laws in your state, you better figure it out. You better figure it out. But you sure as hell can't live in a county with 57 percent of a of a ballot return 
in a place with a 40% Republican margin. You can't do it. Or you're, you're, you're destined to be represented by liberal idiots. Well, yeah, but <clears throat> devil's advocate to this is, uh, other than the structural issues, which I agree those exist and are a fact uh, today, you know, a argument you could make is, well, that rural ter- turnout is lower in the midterm because we haven't provided those voters and their and a different issue set that they care about that animates them as Republicans, many of them new Republicans, to vote. Except for the fact that the exit polls would tell you something different. Yeah. I mean, the, the polls would tell you that voters in rural areas were motivated by the economy. They said it. By the border and by crime, and well, and those are the three things the Republicans ran on. And not only that, not only that, but you look at 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 the rural turnout for Glenn Youngkin, or you look at our overperformance in the special elections in twenty twenty one. It's not like we were thinking this was all going to come on a like a hope and a prayer. There was a lot of evidence to suggest this was going to happen, mm. but that. The, the propensity in this new coalition in a midterm ultimately screwed us. It just did. It, well, it, it did. Now, I naively, and some of this with historical background, believed that suburban voters who had abandoned Republicans in 18 and 20 would be sufficiently motivated by a 30-70 approval on the economy and the belief that Biden is the contributor, but they also, to that. Kind of, but dude, but they also kind of were. I mean, you look at Gwinnett County. Back to your point on Gwinnett County. I mean, they voted for Kemp a lot more than they voted for Walker, and that's. that's I, I think, mean, that's a reality. I think well, that's the point. I guess, and it's not just Kemp. Up and down the ballot, Republican statewide candidates in Georgia. One. I'm just trying and to Arizona, that. by the and way. And Arizona. Everybody and Arizona. talks about Arizona as such a bloodbath. Republicans had a fine night except for the two top offices. Right. You know what I mean? I mean like there it, it all, all I'm suggesting is like there's a lot of ways to skin a cat here. Like if 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 this is the, the new coalition, it's either you know, we 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 change our pitch to appeal more to those people and change their propensity, which I admit like that is a very hard thing to do. I don't think well, I, no, or, well, or, or or you go back and you have to maybe, win more of the suburban voters, which we which we actually know is a thing that can happen because Kemp just did it in one by eight. Maybe it's less DeSantis about did it too. maybe yeah. it's less about changing the pitch and more about changing the salesman. Yeah, there has to be a way to capture the hearts and minds of these rural voters without offending the ideas, the sensibilities of suburban voters. Well, it doesn't mean you nominate Mitt Romney. It doesn't mean you nominate Donald Trump. There has to be somebody in between that can that can sort of get all Republicans behind them. Let's just take your home state for, of Ohio, for example. Two great Republican candidates, J.D. Vance, who's going to be a spectacular senator. Right. Yeah. Like, this guy yeah. is fantastic. I love him. I love his team. They're, they're going to be, I mean, we're going to be very proud of those people for years to come. Yeah. And Mike DeWine, the sitting governor. Right. They come from both ends of the Republican Party. There was literally no margin between them in the rural counties. The places where you say like it's MAGA versus traditional Republican. They were basically the same. Like a couple hundred votes difference in all of those rural counties. There was massive difference in the suburban areas of Cleveland, Columbus, and Cincinnati. Right, which resulted in a, in, a, in a spread between the two candidates. Now it didn't matter in Ohio because Republicans are going to win, and they and they did win. And you had two good candidates. What was the spread between Dewine and JD? 
Uh, we can pull it up it while decent. we're talking. Let's pull it up. But but I I think the the point is that's interesting. Every, that's an interesting point. Everyone wants you to believe that there is a mutually exclusive choice in the Republican Party between you know like I hear Josh Hawley talk about this and look I agree with Josh Hawley eighty percent of the time, but he talks about how the old coalition of the Republican Party is dead. It's now like a you know working class sort of like almost a union you know, nearly economic progressive uh, coalition, which may work fine in Missouri, or nothing, right? But that doesn't work everywhere. And it certainly doesn't work if the propensity to vote in a midterm is 75 to 57. It's, it, it, it means taking a massive L in some of the most voter-rich counties in every single state across this country. I mean that's that is, that is a, that is a reality on that is, purpose. It is a reality. Yeah. Right. right. And so, so to, what was so the to, answer, so to answer your question, Mike Dewine got about four hundred thousand more votes than JD Vance. Four hundred thousand. So, so, yeah. So Dewine scored sixty two. JD was was over fifty three. Now now I I will Wait, say two fifty three. Yeah. Now I will say like in JD's defense, like Dewine didn't face a hundred million dollars. Right. That is, that is true. That's true. Right. That's so, true. so you know, it's not all on that. But my point is that the margins in the rural counties didn't exist. The margins in the suburban areas did exist. And so the idea that you can excise any member of the Republican coalition, regardless of where they live, urban or rural, in order to compete is insanity. Right. I mean, look, I accept all of that. I just think to myself, boy, if I'm Raphael Warnock and I look at the fact that I've just won my second consecutive runoff in like the number one swing state in America, I have a pretty good sales pitch to run for president. You know? Oh, I think that's going to happen. And and Wait, who, who, who? <clears throat> Raphael Warnock. Hmm. You 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 talk to Dem if operatives. You talk to Dem operatives. They won't say it on the record because they don't want to upset Biden. Uh, but they will say that Warren. They they would say before the Georgia race, if Warnock can knock off Walker, they think that he's he's a new well, candidate. Well, let's let's flip it. Let's well, say, no, let's well, say he had a Republican who won two runoffs in a row, in 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 a historically uh, blue state where the rest of the ballot. Uh, uh, Dems won statewide, right? And then in the most, you'd be like, in, whoa! In the most dramatic fashion, he beats a Heisman Trophy winner, is the hero of and the he's, state. And, and he's, you you can see why he's all Dem could win the Heisman, bro. But he's also <laughs> and Warnock's are also raised. I don't know, maybe like three hundred million dollars yeah, between or, all of yeah, these, so, both of these races. So it sounds it sounds good. It sounds good in the abstract. But, but, Let's but, remember that this guy also ran over the foot of his yeah, wife. That's yes, the thing. And that's also the, but, stood by problem. and lied to police when kids were abused at a camp that yes. he was in charge of. But let's let me, not forget that he is totally vulnerable in a president. But let, me, absolutely vulnerable. but let me finish the thought, and this is the reason why I bring it up, is if that is the case, like if it's not Joe Biden, because I think the opposition, who you're facing does matter in these, if you think about like gaming out how the coalition looks and where it's important, but like if it's Raphael Warnock, we better have a candidate that can overperform in the upper Midwest, like in the industrial Midwest. No question. Like it would well, just, it'd be a, an absolute necessity so like, we just have to find somebody who can do both. We but, do both. It, but that but better that, margins in the suburbs and 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 animate this this new Republican coalition of of rural working class. That's folks. my that's the point. Key. We just have to. Have what key. you just that's said the, is the point I'm trying to make, which is this is not a mutually exclusive thing. For four years, we've been talking within the Republican Party about this new coalition, about how you can deliberately offend suburban America 
because you have this like predominantly white working class electorate that's going to be there for you in the industrial Midwest and carry you to national elections. Right. Um, it's not true. It's not true. Like it worked in 2016 in large part because of Hillary Clinton, but it's not true in national elections over a period of time. You need addition in both political parties. Like Democrats aren't going to win with just urban areas either. Mm-hmm. I mean, the reason that they've had so many so much trouble over the last twenty years in the elections is that they haven't had inroads into suburban America. Yeah, there's a reason we have the Supreme Court we have. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> exactly. Like we just we dominated the fourteen elections, which is you know laid the base for all of our ability to do everything that we did in the in the courts and beyond. Yep. And and they suffered from low propensity turnout. Right. In 14, that caused the same problems that we've got now. And there was so much hand wringing, and it was so fun. It was so fun, and it really sucks when the shoes on the other. Which is why, which is why all the Democrats listening right now, the hate listeners, yeah, yeah, and all the people at Media Matters are just loving this. They're like, right yes, now. now they suffer the way we did. Yeah, but their lives are terrible, and ours yeah, are great. That's the problem. Ours are great. It's true, know? and we're we gonna have fun every day. And we're gonna have more fun in a minute. But I, there's one more serious point that I want to put on this. You would be a liar if you didn't believe that the Republican Party has a brand problem. And I talked a couple of weeks ago about the state of Pennsylvania, which in particular, you had three suburban Philadelphia counties that had voted Republican for 35 years that abruptly stopped in 2018 and haven't voted since. If you look at the exit polls in those counties, they believed the Republican message. The Republican message was their message. Inflation and Biden caused it. Crime's a problem. I don't like the border crisis. I don't know why Biden's not dealing with the border crisis. And then they pulled the lever for a guy who couldn't complete a sentence. Like literally the most unfit candidate that I can remember for elective office in John Fetterman. When that happens, you don't have any choice but to look yourself straight in the mirror and say, what, the, what am I selling? What's my product here, right? And what we've been told in every focus group, every poll, every single thing you can, can consume in America is that they are deliberately offended by Donald Trump's presentation. Well, they, the- like, they may like what he's done. They may like the, the economic output in what you talk all about, the smug about how we've never had better economic times the all-time greatest or economy. peace in the world during Trump. And there's world peace. Which is... Which is a factual truth and they may like that but they are so deliberately offended but more importantly everything that happened after the election in 2020 turned them off to republicans indefinitely i think it was actually before then like like, i agree with you that that is the timing but i think it's not just the election and I, i we've talked about this off air before but i think covid was like a psychological trauma for the electorate writ large. Yeah. And not a trauma in like, we're going to double mask forever trauma. I mean, a psychological trauma in that, like, this is serious. Needs competency. We need competency in government to handle things. I think it makes sense because I think someone, uh, your average voter wants a leader who's forceful enough, compelling enough and strong enough to look at Anthony Fauci in the eye and say, no, you're not in charge of this. Because, oh, you cannot close right. our schools down. You cannot put masks on everybody and scare everybody for years on end. 
when they you they want a leader who when they say two weeks to slow the spread at the end of two weeks they have a plan well here's the thing is here's the thing uh, I'll, I'll tell the other side of the story is like okay I'm not uh, uh, an epidemiologist, right? If you're the president, it's like, I don't build the nukes, but I got my finger on the button, right? So, like, if, if, if you know, you're in the Oval Office and, like, okay, this man is the expert. He knows what to do. I mean, what are you going to do? Be like, no, yeah, I mean, you, it's I'm just, the doctor? No, no, no. It's not. I'm not saying you're going to say, well, actually, yes. I mean, if if people are out, like, think about the number of kids. Well, Ronnie who D had a very different person. Exactly, exactly. Think about the number of kids who weren't allowed to go to school. Think about the number of small businesses in this country that were shut down unnecessarily. The number of people who work jobs in restaurants and in the service industry who lost their jobs because the person in charge who they were trusting to say no to the bureaucracy that is way too big didn't do it. That I mean, that happened globally. Even China today, so like okay, well you I, can I dis- you I, can dismiss I'll, it, but this is America. This is America, and in America, you expect that you have a leader who will stick up for you. You vote for someone who is your voice. Where, where, and and when and when people, I mean, like literally, we spent an entire pandemic with people tweeting, writing their congressmen, making calls, complaining to their neighbors, and they were like, nobody will listen to us. We thought we voted for the guy who was sticking up for us. And listen, I, I know it's a difficult situation. I'm not laying... It's not, it's this- not, so so what, what I want to say is where I agree is I think there's like this, like a, a Euler circle of, of the middle part that I think deserves a lot more discussion, which is that candidate quality does indeed matter. And Absolutely. so when I see like... You know, when when the argument is presented that, like, well, obviously, candidate quality doesn't matter. If Fetterman can win, I mean, here's the thing uh, about Dr. Oz. He came in, absolutely wonderful person. And, I, I mean, I will say he was a superlative, wonderful guy. Just absolute gentleman and, like, brilliance emanates from him. This is a guy who knows brain surgery, and it's very clear he's a very sharp, intelligent, great individual I like to think that I'm sharp, intelligent, good individual. I'd never run for Senate. There was right off the bat a significant coup among a large number of conservatives who were like, what the hell are we running Dr. Oz for? This makes no sense. You know, I remember a very significant push, especially during the primary season, where they were like, wait a minute, you know, we've got video of Dr. Oz on his show saying that kids should get transgender surgery. We've got video of like, all these things that we oppose. Yeah, but Donald Trump endorsed him. But that's the thing. is like, so he wins the primary, but at the same time, he's already hamstrung yeah. off the get-go. Where like, I remember the early polls after after he had won the primary is like, among Republicans, he's polling at like 52%. Among Republicans. Yeah, I mean, look, that was a tough primary. I think the Oz and McCormick race is a little different because it was so tough. But if you look at some of these other places, I mean, look, the, the bottom line is... Herschel Walker would not have run for United States Senate if Donald Trump didn't make that happen. And Herschel Walker, I believe, as I've said early in the program, is a good man, is a part, is a, a significant part of the Republican Party. He can make us a addition for forever. But, 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 but not everybody runs for Senate. I don't run for Senate. You don't run for Senate. If a guy has trouble at like the highest levels of government, this is not the this is not a minor league deal, right? I know this is. I'm not. I'm not playing running back for the University of Georgia. I get. I get it, dude. But I also don't want to end up in a position where the only candidates that we nominate are the ones that like 
file the right TPS report and we're exactly. the you know, yeah, and we're yeah. the class president. Nobody's saying there, no, are, I know, there are I know. thousands I know. of people I know. out there. I know. No, I, I agree with you, Duncan. You're right, bro. No. I don't want a TPS candidate. No, here's you, the thing: is but you know what I'm, you know what I'm saying. I'm not saying it's not. It is. It is important, dude. Don't you think there's a difference between a TPS candidate and yes. somebody who knows the difference yeah, between so the it, House it, and the it, Senate? Yeah, 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 I, I, I agree. I agree 100. I just hope that we. All all I'm saying is I hope the people like people that are out there who are thinking about running for office don't aren't aren't dissuaded from doing so because of Herschel Walker. I, that 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 like that's right. That that because you have to be a congressman. Be, first yeah, because they didn't go to a fucking think tank that they can't they they can't be involved in politics. Well, listen, there doesn't there doesn't seem to be any lack of interest in running for office, which is good. But there also doesn't seem to be any lack of interest in running for office for, for people who are totally yeah. unqualified, non electable. I'll remind you also that Donald Trump endorsed Eric Greitens. Yeah. Right, we would be fifty two forty eight. Well, right. if that one would have gotten done. Here's the thing: is like I think. Uh, uh, who's, yeah, no, that's that's exactly right. Who's the chairman of like the Republican Party in Georgia? I don't know. Maybe, I don't know, but it's maybe a, a nice guy. I don't know. That's the kind of role that you want Herschel Walker in. Could he fundraise? I guarantee it. I guarantee well, he, he could did. fundraise for candidates. He fundraised better than any other candidate in the field. There the you go. Field. Could he fundraise for candidates running in Georgia? Absolutely. Could he fire up Republicans across Georgia? Absolutely. Could would he the, be? Would a, the media spend, you know, a billion dollars in airtime attacking him if he were uh, the chairman of the Republican Party of Georgia? No. Would he be able to help elect Republicans in Georgia? Yes. It's just not a jumping thing, off is place. Like, you, you have can't people make... who can have everyone. Like, there's a utility for the energy in the party, right? Yeah. Where you have roles where you're like a chairman, where your purpose is fundraising, firing up the base, getting folks out there, getting them involved. Absolutely, Herschel can do that. He's been doing that his whole life, right? Yeah. Candidate is different. Candidate is different. You like, like, like Holmes brought up, like, run for the house first. You know what I mean? Because yeah. if you can do that, then like, okay, you survive the gauntlet. You know the game, and, you're, and you vetted out the stuff. You it's not it a surprise in October of the election year, right? Which is part of the problem. Here's the other thing: is is structural. We have got to come to the conclusion here: the Republican Party lost a U.S. Chamber of Commerce, which is a critical part of a coalition in 2014. Now, when you hear U.S. Chamber of Commerce, it's a punchline yeah. in the Republican like Party. they like a left-wing organization. Yeah, well, it stands for woke corporate America and fecklessness and which, everything which, else. Which, by the way, before you get in, I, I, I just got to say it because I didn't see it in the doc today. Did you see uh, what Senator Cotton did in, in the committee oh, hearing the, best thing the other day? Oh, it's the best Yeah. Um, it, so, was, it was Kroger. Yeah, Kroger comes in, uh, and this is the approval of a merger, I believe. Yeah. Right? And they're getting a lot of uh, inter Heat. interference from the Democrats who are opposed to this merger. And, you know, Senator Cotton is, is like, you know, um, uh, companies like yours have come to Washington many times, assuming that Republicans will have their back when the Democrats, you know, come to, to rip them apart and regulate them and tax them and all these sorts of things. And you've decided to become woke in the meantime. And so, you know what? We're not going to do that anymore. <laughs> Best of luck to you. He said, I'm very <laughs> sorry this is happening to you. Best of luck. Republican senators to carry the water for them whenever our Democratic friends want to regulate them or block their mergers. So I, I've heard a lot, a lot of questioning about that 
today, and I've read a lot about it in the news, um, and I'll say this. I'm sorry that's happening to you. Best of luck. It's so great. <laughs> it's so great. I, I just think that's the perfect... Wow. I think that's the perfect appetizer for the discussion about the U.S. Chamber. It, it No, it, it really is, and that's what they've become. But at one point, they were to the Republican Party what unions right. were to the Democrat. Now, the unions... Despite the fact that we're now a party of the working class, unions spend all of their money, all yeah. of it, on electing Democrats. Yeah, the money that they steal from their membership. That they steal for their membership. Yeah. That they spend all of it on electing Democrats. The chamber, which sort of offset that over the years, is gone. Right. It doesn't, have, it doesn't play a meaningful role, right? The NRA. The NRA has been a fixture in the Republican Party and people who appreciate Second Amendment rights for as long as I can remember. Mm -hmm. The NRA in 2016, in 2018, 2014, way beyond, yeah, yeah. played a decisive role in a lot of these places that we're talking about. They no longer exist on the political playing field, right? And now you start looking into the next level of infrastructure, which is like state parties. What are state parties in like Arizona doing to elect Republicans? And that's the uh, that's a really good point because I remember specifically, like in 2014, like uh, leading up to it, you'd hear all these uh, among like people who know what they're talking about being like, "Man, Republicans at the state level are like going hard in the paint. They're like building up teams and individuals and state parties that have like one goal to win." And that's where you cut your teeth. If you're interested in getting involved in national politics, you get involved in the state party, you you shine. Mm -hmm. Right? That's what I did. That's how I started. Yeah. Yeah, I did. Right? And 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 once you can prove yourself, then you can kind of rise up the ranks. That's the way it's always worked. And now you've got a bunch of state parties that basically preside over a title. Right? And you've got campaigns with these big victory accounts that they try to fund for turn-out-the-vote operations that just don't. They just don't. And that's the truth. I'm, I, I, like, nobody wants to hear that, but that is the truth. Because that's hard work stuff. Like, uh, state party stuff is, it is legitimately the grassroots where the game begins. But and it's not all state there. parties. Some of them are terrific. Like in Kentucky, we had one of the best state parties of all time. Right, but you mentioned Arizona, and I think Arizona is the shining example of incompetence in this entire thing. Kelly Ward has been the chairman there for the last four years. This is a woman who's been in politics for 10 years, who's lost two statewide elections, again, been chairman for the last four years, and then has lost... All those elections, these last two cycles, as as chairwoman chairwoman of uh, of the Arizona Republican Party. In fact, the only Republican to win statewide is one that they censured, in right. Doug Ducey. Yeah, and so and and so and now she goes on television to talk about how the establishment failed her, and it's like, at what point is she the fucking establishment? Well, she is. I mean, she's the one that runs it. You are. She the runs it. She runs the thing. It's a fucking. It's like hot dog well, meat. So it, it goes back to our. It point. is hot dog meat, dude. It that, is hot. It's dog hot dog meat, and it's like it's not even a point of like who is conservative and who is a rhino and who is establishment and who is insurgent it's like who had their hand on the wheel you did well you did a terrible fucking job yeah you did a terrible job and contrast it with a place like iowa and our boy out there 
where it's been nothing Dude, but they addition have a, over and over, year after year. The, the Iowa State GOP is like a military. And bro. I would like they are they on get it. Point. And I'd point out that that Kim Reynolds is going to be running the RGA, the governor there. Yeah. yeah so I mean, look, that's going to God be a bless big deal. it. God bless it. It's going to be a big deal. But the point is, is you got to standardize this shit, and there has to be accountability. And I understand that there's like this big hubbub about RNC races and everything else. Look, I'm not going to get into that today. I don't know if that makes a difference or not. All I want is some answers on how, who's going to, how are you going to fix what is a glaring problem? Because the biggest problem with the RNC in terms of its execution of ground game is that so much of it is dependent upon the 168 members that vote for whoever the chairman is. And it's not necessarily indicative on who ultimately is winning elections. If you're fu- like, I don't want the vote of somebody who won, f- who lost four straight elections. Fuck you. You've let everyone down. Like we, our country is demonstrably worse because of Correct. what's happened in Arizona over the right. last four years. You have created you, you have created ten percent inflation in this country. It's not Joe Biden. We knew what he was going to do. We knew what he was going to do. We knew what the Democrats marching in lockstep were going to march into. They told us who they were. Into Bernie Sanders' agenda. We knew that. They told us. They said that they wanted open borders. Right. It was up to you standing right. on the wall in Arizona to win those elections, and you lost every one of them. And then you have the fucking audacity to come back it's to wild. us it's wild. and say, oh, it I was the establishment. We were trying to find who did this. Ah, I mean, <laughs> it's party. It's place after place after place. And here's the thing. Like, we got maybe two days to do this. Two days to do the F you, hold yourself accountable, and then we got to rebuild. Right. Y- you know and what? I'm interested in the rebuilding people. That, so I w- I've been thinking about this. And I was thinking about it the whole time, Duncan, after you infected me with a disease and I'm laid up. So, you know, I, I have a lot of time for my thoughts. I'll do it again. And he, <laughs> I'll do it again. But, but I think this might have a positive outcome because I spent a lot of time thinking of who. I, what I am going to do is I'm going to reach out to the people who won. Folks like Kemp, folks like the Iowa GOP. We need to have them on and be like, what worked? Yeah. How is it you guys dominate? What is it that we are missing? Because you don't want to have, like, we can have a circular firing squad, which is what Democrats yeah. are dreaming we have. Yeah. They want, like, you You don't need to be on Twitter for five seconds before you see, like, every Dem who's like, oh, yes, Republicans fight each other. What we need is to hear from the winners. Yeah, no. What I, worked? I, 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 because there's a <clears throat> lot of Republicans who crushed it. There's a lot of Republican machines, states like I Iowa, agree. states like Florida. Florida's GOP is strong as hell. This, like their state level yeah. party is out of control. They're like bonkers. This yeah. this conversation Those are the we need to be hearing from. This conversation is tough and it's not the the most fun part of the variety program, but I think it's worth having right now, but I agree 100% smug that we should be having And I think on. it's going to be and fun. I think, I think let's, we, let's hear from the winners. Right. And I think we I think this show hopefully over the next you know, two, three, four, five months can have some of these folks on to talk about the path forward and what we do do different. And like I, I was drilling down in numbers too while I was sick. And a great example is you look at people like Mark, uh, Mike Garcia in California, right? This guy has had money bombed on him by the Dems cycle after cycle right. in California, and he keeps winning. Or he keeps winning. Or Lor- like we Lor- gotta hear from these people. Lori Chavez. Dreamer who who flipped that seat in Oregon. Yeah. In Oregon. I mean, that's someone I want to talk to. Totally. And that's and that's the point. I mean, look, I, I think 
the most important point of this is not to say like screw you people who let us down and, and we never want to hear from you again the point is is that we've obviously been on the wrong path and let's get on it yeah let's get on the right path and the people who were a part of a coalition that lost like join us in a different direction I, i'm not interested in like doing the the hang and shame situation i mean you've heard i, I have strong opinions about who's to blame for a lot of things i just don't think it's particularly productive at this point like what i think is much more productive is figuring out how you can go about producing a product not just the infrastructure a product that sells and building an infrastructure yeah. around it that gets it done yes now the good news like from what we started this conversation with in that midterm elections with a, a coalition that Republicans have built have an inherent disadvantage. That flips in presidential elections. So 23 and 24, when you look at a pretty good map in the Senate, you're also dealing with, I almost don't care who the nominee is, we're gonna pick up four or five seats in the House, if only because we turn that 55 to 57% turnout rate in some of these rural counties to 70 to 75, no matter what. And if that happens, you're going to pick up five to seven seats no matter what. Yeah, that's what I've been saying. Is I drilled down the numbers and I think that's going to happen. So I'll reach out to some folks and, and tell you more. Listen about to that. you. <laughs> yeah, listen yeah. to you. Smug, I just appreciate. Gonna... Apologize to Adam King. King. <laughs> yeah, I just appreciate that uh, Holmes. That Holmes has that attitude because, you know how I am. Like I'm just, I just want to be mean to people who uh, I think are responsible for things. Me too, bro. I just I'm Duncan well, I know with I'll, Duncan. But dude, but here's the here's the thing, and this is the last. I won't belabor this, and I don't mean to make this like you know an old timer telling his his stories. But I remember how this feels. I appreciate it, right? And in 2012, we underperformed radically. We had huge infrastructure problems as a party. We had huge disadvantages in things like social media outreach yeah. and digital data targeting and things like that well, like we needed to figure all that stuff out we had we, a problem with Mitt Romney let's be honest he unfollowed me on Twitter I saw it Mitt <laughs> well I mean dude his look, number one mistake was unfollowing comfortably smart I, I think dude. that's right I think that was in the autopsy you report should, you should yeah 100% <laughs> should have been should have been but but I remember saying okay we gotta radically change this and I remember that there was an entire cottage industry that was built up to try to prevent you from changing everything. And that's what I'm hoping our show can help do. And I want, and I was yeah. like, you know what? I don't have any other choice at this point in my career but to just go to war to try to change it and win. Yeah. And it, it dude, I had like almost nervous breakdowns during that period of time. You were drinking a lot of Diet Mountain Dew at the <laughs> time. It felt like the whole world was raining down on me. And then 2014 happened. I think but he, 2014 and then, happened. I mean, I think that's was so important to reiterate is we've seen situations like this where everyone's like holy shit how did that happen like we we should be like up by 50 on the scoreboard like how is this happening that we're down and then 2014 happens because when you put your you know when you put the best minds together you get everyone on the same page and you say the only option is victory how do we achieve that everyone stop bitching stop and no more insulating yourself from criticism because that's that's the thing that that i want to i want to like if you're going to be a leader in this party you better want to be hated because what it takes to win at this level is to embrace the hate it Mm -hmm. takes the embrace of the anger and if you're interested in being popular or if you're interested in avoiding tough decisions you know 
it doesn't work. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. What you ought to do, what you ought to do is what, and, and you'll see this candidates do this all the time. You show up in a, in a state and give a speech and leave. I'll tell you what, it doesn't do a fucking thing to elect a single person. Mm-mm. Every time you see a candidate going out, oh, he's stumping for somebody. Oh, congratulations. Where's your money? Where's your infrastructure? You know, uh, Where's your people? Going, Where's your, what are you doing to help? Going back specifically to Tom Cotton about this, where you talk about how he's such, like, such a soldier, like literally a soldier. But he was like, okay, I'm not running for president. He made it clear. He was like, my purpose is, is very simple. I'm with the team. All he's been doing is, because he knew he was going to win, he sent his money to other races. He sent his money to other Well, look at like Tim Scott's another example of that, right? He spent like a couple million bucks sending to to candidates. You know, like John Thune was sending hundreds of thousands of dollars to state parties. I mean, obviously you saw SLF and everything else. Like it's not about sort of showing up for the cameras. Like the cameras are the worst, least interesting part of this. Yeah, I can't think of a single example of of Tom Cotton, like, you know, uh, parachuting into a place to be like, okay, I'm here take the photo op or whatever. He sends money. He runs ads to support Republicans. The dude's just rock solid. I mean, that's, no, that's I, it. I think it's exactly right. The dude is right. just 100% with the team. The, la- the last thing our party needs is more politicians trying to be celebrities. We The last thing we need is more guys running for office who think that their role is to become some sort of an influencer that gets a ton of followers. Bro, there's nothing wrong with influencers. Fox, but yeah, Fox but you're not, running for, you're not running for Senate. <laughs> Or Fox you know Famous. I mean? Exactly. Right? The, the, it, goal, is, the, the goal. goal is not to become a celebrity. The goal is to win an election. Yeah. No, and I'll leave you with this, a ray of hope. Steve Daines is the incoming National Republican Senatorial Committee chairman. Yeah, great pick. Steve Daines has won not one but two incredibly contested elections in the state of Montana. And you might say, Montana, that's a pretty red state. They threw up a governor with a 75% approval rating up against him mm-hmm. and he demolished him right right this is a guy who knows how to win he's also totally committed to reevaluating everything also half of silicon valley moved to montana like right the guy had a lot of money spent against it. the mm-hmm. i mean all he does is win so i think there's rays of hope here that we can leave with but we got a lot of work to do you've and got you've got a guy who's honest with things he's got a great background Bro, business. Dane's is going to crush it. Formerly worked for Procter & Gamble, a proud Cincinnati company. <laughs> I knew you, you had got to that, that. You got that in there. Uh, let's do an update on Big Tree. This is, uh, like, I thought the bulk of our show would be about this. This is such a wild conversation. Yeah, we talked about politics on our show. Yeah. I know. But oh. this is, uh, I'm sorry, folks. Huge shout out to McDaniel, because, like, after our previous episode where we vaguely, vaguely discussed Big Tree. Big Tree. McDaniel was like, I mean, he, he he like found every bit of information. Also, and this is incredible. Also, so let's 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 get a little bit more specific than okay. just vaguely talking about Big Tree. Let's just bring the listeners back to where we left off on Tuesday. <laughs> I think we left where off where we left with, off is that Michael Duncan, Josh Holmes, comfortably smug, all three of them have uh, fake have Christmas tree, trees. Okay, John Ashbrook has a real one. Yes, but I also feel like John Ashbrook was casting a lot of dispersions on. Tim O'Connor, the executive director of the National Christmas Tree Association. Do you recall this? Yeah, no, I, I he's remember. the man behind Big Tree. Yeah. <laughs> you don't fuck with Tim O'Connor. <laughs> Tim O'Connor means business. It's like it's like in uh, in The Godfather. Yeah. You know, you wake up with a horse head. Yeah. You're gonna you're gonna wake up with half a tree a on stump. you. Stump. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> 
an ornament or two. Yeah. An oak stump in your bed. <laughs> but you're like, this is actually delightful. Now my room smells like great. <laughs> so we talked about Tim O'Connor, the executive director of the National Christmas Tree Association, because we were talking about the price of Christmas trees. Right. Now they've gone up. He was prominently quoted, and we talked about a little bit about how there was an association for everything. Yeah. Now that that uh, this is happening, so we did some digging into the National Christmas Tree Association, and here's kind of what we found on their website. Uh, Smug, do you want to do you want to walk us through? I would love to some of this because I feel like this is sort of up your alley. It absolutely is. Okay, so so again, shout out McDaniel for for pulling this information together. Um, there was a discussion on from. The, realchristmastrees.org no means, way which means it's non-profit <laughs> right so already i'm i'm, I'm, I'm a 501c6 imagine i bet a 501 yeah. on christmas trees yeah god bless you um they had this article these like facts what you might not know about fake trees. i love that they're going negative on on fake right? trees it is but it's so an good. issue so but you, you can sh- they they're should. not telling you who to vote they don't use the magic no. words. They're staying in line with what a 501c can Tell do. Tell Marco Rubio to support yeah. real truth. <laughs> <laughs> so, so on their like fact sheet, they say what you might not know about fake trees. And already, I'll tell you what, this is a gifted operative. When you start mm. off your page like this, you've already packaged the info. You know what you're doing. Yeah. yeah. Where do they come from? <laughs> well, most fake trees are made of metals and plastic most fake trees, 85% in the U.S. are imported from China. China! No. Let's go. Straight o- off the bat. O'Connor, uh, O'Connor, I will just say, O'Connor is not to be messed with. But that's no, a great point. I, I think that, back to our previous conversation, I think we need the Tree Association involved in our discussions on the Republican and, and, Party. And here's the thing. is, So so uh, it says, you know, 85% are imported from China. And I made a very specific choice. When I purchased my tree, you Google it, Made in America fake tree. It's very simple. Because I was like, listen, man, if all I'm going to buy a piece ma- of plastic, I want all the money to stay in this country. So my tree is it, it born, same as me, in this country. The money stays in the country. So, But I'll still listen. I'll still listen to these facts. Okay. What are fake trees made of? Okay, this is it's going to get wild, folks. <laughs> Most artificial Christmas trees are made of metals and plastics. The plastic material, typically PVC, can be a potential source of hazardous lead. <laughs> They're, They're going negative. They're like, you but will it, but, poison your children. But it gets even better. Who decided to make a fake Christmas tree? Actually, fake trees were invented by a company who made toilet bowl brushes. <laughs> the Addis Brush Company, regardless of how far the technology has come, it's still interesting to know. The first Wait, fake Christmas God. trees were just really big green toilet bowl brushes. Dude, no. I want to know. So that's what you guys have in your family room. No, Dude, that's a gift. You've got, you've got a, a toilet bowl brush painted green adorned with ornaments I appreciate that you're using the information. I Can give, we take a moment to appreciate how this information I, uh, is presented? Here's the thing. is I want to give a huge shout out to the research person. This Big is tree. a gifted hand. Yeah. This is someone who, who's cut their teeth in the research like the RNC, got a big check and is doing the right thing. Because the way they package this is it's very incredible because they're not saying that like your tree or all trees or many trees. Regardless. Made, they say the first company that did this, they made them make two trees. <laughs> 40 years ago this using is like, toilet brushes this, and no one bought them but they're like it's interesting to note it's just interesting to like many people, people are saying <laughs> this is 
This is like the most devastating 30-second ad I've ever seen a 501c6 ever do. This is the most goaded attack on Christmas trees so I've ever goated. seen. So Dude, but they have a little something for everyone, yeah. right? So if it, basically, they said you have a toilet bowl brush in your in your right. living room. You're gro- so hard, they say you're dude. gross and disgusting, and you might also be supporting China. Yeah, yeah right, right. And well, then, but then they're like, then they're like, oh, so you're an environmentalist? Yeah, you're concerned about cutting down the trees. Well, are fake trees better for the environment? They contain lead. Your trees got lead in it. You're poisoning the water systems. But the way, I mean, it is just absolutely brilliant. The way that they package that, like, hey, listen, the first ones were created from fake toilet brushes. I'm not telling you yours were. Many people. I actually, dude, I actually want to read exactly what they've got. Go for it. Go for it. Go for it. Artificial trees are petroleum based products manufactured (laughs) primarily in Chinese factories. Back to China. Number two. The average family uses a fake tree for only six to nine years before throwing it away, comma, where it will remain in a landfill indefinitely. I mean, that's optimistic. I'm talking 16 to 90 days. <laughs> that's a pretty hefty long-term environmental burden. I, I, just, I just pride myself on being just, that. Just doing the math for you. Uh, and then they say that the, there's a substance. I can't even pronounce uh, PVC. Uh, it's, it's, Just, it's PVC. P, like PVC pipe? Polyvinyl yeah. chloride. Can you believe yeah. McDaniel put in the technical term? He's like, polyvinyl chloride. Used in most artificial trees has been boycotted by many environmental groups. This issue is especially concerning due to China's weak enforcement of environmental regulation. This is great. <laughs> this is great. And I like that they cite environmental group this is not us saying it they've been boycotted exactly. here's the here's the line i like a farm grown real christmas tree has the upper hand well no no but this is the turn right so yes. it's not it's a contrast ad mm-hmm. yeah. so for us in this business oh, that is sharp. for us in the business this is like this is this is a work of art yeah because it's not it enough. really is it's really it's not good. enough to just tear down the other side let's just show the other real christmas trees absorb carbon dioxide and other gases mm-hmm. and emit fresh oxygen. Dude, mm. This is so good. There are about 350 million conifer trees growing Christmas tree farms in the U.S. alone. These trees would not exist if not planted by Christmas tree farmers. Mm-hmm. Christmas trees farms stabilize the soil. You know, they protect water supplies and support complex ecosystems. This is the backbone of our agricultural system. This has all been genius. There's only one little factoid I would throw in there to, to like further hammer home the like contrast with the China thing. There's about 350 million conifer trees growing on Christmas tree farms in the U.S. One for every American. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they should have dropped that. How do you miss that opportunity? They should have no. dropped that. They definitely. You know what? Though, after listening to this show, they, they probably will. I hope so. A I po- hope they add that. A line. pot in every pan and a Christmas tree in every house. Bingo. <laughs> but the last, and then they let it go with this. And of course, farm-grown Christmas trees can be recycled, whereas fake trees cannot. <laughs> I don't know. Like, am I? I might be in like the minority of the population where when I hear this like environmental shit. And they're like, oh, yes, your fake tree is, like, going to go to a dump. I'm like, okay. No, but that's why they put the China stuff in there for you. 
Right? <laughs> That's the only way they can get me. No, but there's a little bit of something for everyone. I only yeah. buy so, American-made so plastics that don't decompose it's, for 2,000 years. It's the, re- <laughs> <laughs> it's the real kitchen sink attack ad with a turn in contrast at the end. It's so good. Yeah. It's just a little something for everyone. So anyway, hats off to Tim O'Connor and the Christmas Tree Association. Yeah, yeah shout out. You shout guys, out. I'm sure it'll get back good to work. them. And they'll appreciate this segment because whoever that researcher is. Seriously, whoever you hired to do that great job get on board and, and it's a very clear experienced hand all right back to politics for a minute did you hear that biden is uh, likely to announce according to the new york times his re-election soon oh, well as as uh, the entire audience heard at the beginning of the show he is at his tip-top shape <laughs> and he is ready to announce yeah. in big fashion <laughs> so apparently this is this is according to his chief of staff klein uh, uh klein who said in Axios, the president will make that decision, I expect, shortly after the holiday. Um, so, I mean, look, I... Say the holiday. Say the holiday. He can't say... Until after Christmas, yeah, he can't, bro. Right. Say yeah. it. No, he can't say that. You know it's he okay. can't say that. You know he can't say that. Uh, Put Santa on the Starbucks cup. <laughs> <laughs> but look, I mean, we... Stop the war! Stop the war on Christmas! We got a lot of things to figure out, but I gotta be honest. It's actually kind of the silver lining. Like, a, a terrible you know, election result given our expectations here uh, in the midterms. But the one weird silver lining, I hate I hate to say this is a silver lining, is that Biden's got this false sense of confidence now. They think that they're doing well. No, I know. I mean, just no candidates, bad infrastructure, right. horrible fundraising, like all kinds of problems with brand and everything else. And we still, in every one of the states that we lost, lost by an eyelash. Yeah. Right? Which t- they had everything going, and they still couldn't. And, we, and the message sold. sold. And, and, and and all the Democrats that you see on Twitter and on cable news who are just slam dunking on Republicans right now were sec- secretly sharpening all of their knives. That's the thing. To come They're going to have to Biden. holster those things, maybe for a lot, a little while, for sure. But you know what? The dude by twenty twenty four. I mean, he's going to look like De Niro from Awakening, Spike. <laughs> I mean, that's the thing. Throwing yeah. baseballs at him. <laughs> No, seriously, yeah. think about that. Yeah. Two Biden years is about 40 in regular humans. Yeah, no, like You've got to keep that in mind. It's dog time five, for sure. No question about it. All right, so, fellas, should we play a game? I think we should. Okay. Let's play a game. And, and, and since you aren't at death's door anymore... Thank God. It, it means we have to play the signature game of the Ruthless Variety program, King of the Hill. Ugh. Okay, so... Holmes, you have our champion. She's just on a heater. Yeah. Jennifer Rubin. Yeah, Jennifer Brain Worms Rubin. Smug, who are you going to bring to the table today? Folks, I am going to bring a heater, and I'm declaring victory already. Wow. Calling a shot. Joe Walsh. Wow. Oh, wow. Joe Walsh. I didn't see that coming. He must have had a hot week. He must have had a real hot week. Well, I think we have to go ringside. Uh, Ladies and gentlemen, your attention, please. It's time for King of the Hill in the red corner, fighting out of somewhere in Illinois. Joe was a Republican until he got clicks being a Democrat. Walsh! And now, in the blue corner, Fighting from the Washington Post and current champion of the world, Jennifer Brainworms, a room. 
every time he does the brain worms, Ruben, I picture you know when the fighter gets up and does the quick jab, yeah, jab, yeah, jab, yeah, jab, yeah, jab. yeah, yeah, like the sort of like quick undercuts, yeah, yeah. But also the title of like only went damn to get clicks is so beautiful, <laughs> yeah. so beautiful. I'm just glad we're playing again. <laughs> I am too. I am too. All right, so the brain worms kicking things off here. The cultural tide of pluralism, mm. secularism, and feminism has washed away their imaginary reaction, reactionary paradise of a white Christian America. Unfortunately, they will fail to realize this trend is irreversible. She's talking about Republicans. I'm so happy. She's talking about. I'm so happy. White you played this. So, like in real oh, life, wait, this oh. is the opposite because like incumbency doesn't help here. I got the perfect. Wait, but but, but hold on. Let me. Wait, she's still going. No, I'm gonna provide some context. I mean, jump the gun. It's still my round. Um, so I was like, you know, I remember back in the day, Jennifer Rubin's big thing was like religious liberty. Do you remember this? Yes. Like she, she was a little. It was a little uncomfortable at times because it seemed to be like over the top. Mm-hmm. In terms of religiously, which so she's now Bro, said listen, like secular. Li- listen, so, raise your on. hand if you remember this. No this one is, remembers this. This is no a- one remembers April twenty nine, twenty ten. Jennifer Rubin. Uh, wow, you're bringing exist more more can evidence. You, can Obama's loud. It's up to you. You can hold oh, on. Tell. Hold on. I, I got to decide if you can include this because yeah. this is like additional evidence. Well, can I approach bench? Yeah. Yes. Absolutely, dude. So, so make, make the argument. So what I have is a relevant document from okay. her previous writings that showcase the extent of the hypocrisy involved. So like any time we can just roll up insanity with like a previous tweet. So so okay. All right, so I will allow it, but I'm only going to allow it in the discussion section after Smug offers his. Damn, that's fair. I don't think it's fair for you to get to include you can include this in fair enough. in the closing argument. Fair enough. But but not immediately after the tweet you just read. Don't. I will withhold. Is that fair? I will withhold. Alito Duncan rolled okay. up today. That is that's 100% fair, bro. Yeah. 100% fair. This is from Joe Walsh and I I love that you let me play this one. Their party leader repeatedly sided with our enemies abroad, tried to overthrow an American election, <laughs> and demanded we terminate the Constitution, and Republicans did nothing. So, Kurt Eichenwald is correct. Republicans <laughs> must hate America. Oh, my God. You get to oh, the God. point where you're like, it's I need click so bad. It's like I nothing, want the nothing, nothing Kurt Eichenwald. <laughs> so, nothing, nothing, Kurt This Eichenwald. is where context actually matters. All right, so... so For listeners who... Thank, by the grace of God, don't know who Kurt Eichenwald is. He's a journal who was caught being very interested in pornography involving octopuses. And I can't make. He's this also shit up. very litigious, so you should watch your language in this in this regard. So, so I had, uh, I had, uh, I actually did on this tweet send this to to an attorney friend and be like, "Can I say this is an individual who has shown previous interest in pornography involving?" octopuses and he said yes given the tweets that he sent out given the tweets he sent out and numerous articles from the washington post citing well i'm gonna be more time that he i'm gonna be more i'm gonna be a little bit more specific here and that is his interest in tentacle (laughs) and 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 I, I apologize. Actually, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Like, dude, put the kiss to bed before I get in this round. No, no, but, no. But this is not a family. <laughs> but but to to provide more background, and and Eichenwald is is fair to 
disagree with this characterization. And I remember what his defense was. He took a screenshot, I believe, of his laptop in a tweet. This is a few years ago or whatever. <laughs> and, and one of the additional tabs in his browser at the time was tentacle porn. And it's wild because he was And like, he said his defense at the time, as I recall, I may be wrong, but that he was having a conversation with his wife about it and like, couldn't you believe this exists? And it happened to be open in his browser at the time he took the screenshot. Which is the, the wild. You're like, who, who among us is not like, hey wife, how's your day? By the way, here's something horrific. Isn't this no weird? one does that shit. This is weird. <laughs> and I happen to have it still open. Um, so, okay. okay so, nothing, all right, nothing I'm, Kurt Eichenwald. Right. Okay. All right. Well, I, you can now submit this, the, the, the submission for additional evidence. Okay. Well, can I, can I just repeat? Yes. Yes. For the, for the sake of the listener who just had to go through the tentacle porn <laughs> segment. Right. Because I feel like something was lost in that. It's possible. I'm sorry. The cultural tide of pluralism, secularism, and feminism has washed away their imaginary reactionary paradise of a white Christian America. Unfortunately, they fail to, rec- to realize this trend is irreversible. That's how she characterizes Bro, a lot of big words. We're talking about octopuses. It's how she characterizes Like, how crazy is that? These ride or die on the octopus Because Because Joe Walsh is like, correct them all this correct which is like the wildest shit he didn't ever. say the octopus porn was he correct. literally no. said kurt eichenwald is correct and everybody knows kurt eichenwald is about one thing <laughs> i mean you know it's serious you know it's serious when smug's the one it's doing about one it. thing usually it's you i know i know this is what you started okay here's here's the additional supporting evidence in his indifference to human rights and democracy promotion, Obama has made it quite clear that his administration has little interest in protecting Wait, and promoting religious freedom. In an article entitled Obama's Lousy Record on Religious Freedom, yeah, which is in direct contrast, not just like, you know, sort of glancing blow, in direct contrast to what she's saying with pluralism, secularism, and feminism, washing away uh, the reactionary uh, paradise of white Christian America. I'll tell you, bro, I have so much respect for the judge and jury, I'm not going to take you to the library to win this, all right? (laughs) (laughs) This game is simple. You got three tweets, fire them off. I can tentacle porn. (laughs) Yikes. Holmes. Yeah. Holmes, you made such a good argument. I don't know. You made such a good argument. You can't do but it, can you? Because of the tentacle. You can't do it, can you? I don't think you can. Smug wins round one. It's impossible I'm so to get sorry. over it. I'm so sorry. You really did such a good job, but you can't beat it. You I, I, I want to get it here because this is such a banger. Politically, this is from Joe Walsh. Politically, I've always considered myself conservative because I believe in freedom and a more limited and restrained government. I'm no longer Republican because this Republican Party believes in a big authoritarian government ruling over private sector and punishing its enemies. What? (laughs) And the the ultimate irony and beauty of this is he sends it on Twitter. He tweets it out on Twitter. Yeah. Like days after we see the, 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 you know, Twitter was essentially run by the DNC and the Biden campaign. He's like, here's the problem, folks. Actually, Democrats are the ones who are facing that ship. Unbelievable. 
Okay. Jennifer Rubin. Yes. And again, uh, uh, at the pleasure of the court, I'll be submitting... Oh, wow. Uh, ...evidence of previous... You've really done your research. Takes. I got to give you that. The media, embarrassed by buying into GOP spin, when anti-democratic insurgents tell you who they are, believe them. Authoritarianism is greater than democracy. Women won't return to the 1950s. <laughs> Social media is crumbling aside from the Supremes. Courts are rendering justice. God, she really packs it in. Yeah, no, it's it's a bunch of there's typos and spacing errors. There's a bunch of stuff going on here. But just just the sheer volume of issues, the range that she's covered. Mm-hmm. She's covering the things that she's learned in 2022, and I, I think the biggest one is women won't return to the 1950s, of which I I do have um, supporting evidence that I'll submit at the t- oh okay. time when Bro. it's necessary. I don't know. I mean, it, I have to defer to your colleague here if he'd like you to submit it now or after he's given I th- I an option. I think your precedent of like after is okay. the best way to roll. You can submit it now. Maybe there is marketing involved. Being anti-abortion may sound a bit too noble to leftist ears, but anti-woman, now there's an invective you can get behind. Hmm. All right, listeners, wake up. Wake up, it's my turn. Wake up, no, no, listeners. You already, you already Listen, played. I'm going to stop you, I'm gonna stop you before you make the mistake of playing your third round. No, go for it, go for it. Go for it, rule in. I really like that supporting evidence. I appreciate the hard work you did. Thank the you. invective part good. there. I don't even need the third, bro. Was re- that's really something. I, I, I mean... Do you have like a research team here? Like, how are you pulling this out of your ass? No, I just remember. So, I she had uh, what I thought was going to be a bunch of hot takes on Raphael Warnock this yeah. week, and she didn't have them. So I went back and saw like she was doing a bunch of. You, you just got you got to work smarter, not harder, bro. And yeah, so, yeah. so I, I was like, you know what? Uh, you hit the know. search bar and you went back to the I old like, archive. Re- well, I remember, I remember her being like, her big thing was like, I am the Republican women who's going to shout down leftist women. Yeah. So it was like one search and like, pop. Mm. All right. I think you win round two. Okay. Really? Okay. All right. Well, that's why I got the round three. I'm ready. Okay. Do you want to play well, it right no, away? No. no well, no. I mean, I have a, you did call your shot. I did. I did. But you can go for round three. Okay. <laughs> Though economic fortunes can still take a turn for the worse, Biden's economic performance producing solid results in vivid contrast to the rest of the world, Biden could not have asked for a better run of economic news on which to end the year. <laughs> All right, so what? Like, what are you even pointing to? There's literally not a not a scintilla so, of evidence of good economic news. So, so for mine, I don't have to submit like you know the Library of Congress for you to like. Yeah, here we go. And all this bullshit. I got a tweet. It's simple. So, <laughs> everybody here, every listener probably knows one underscore the one. Uh, you know, the folks among you who've probably been banned from Twitter is probably because of one underscore. Wait, who's one underscore? That's Ben Collins okay. at NBC. The, probably, arguably, the worst person on Twitter. Mm. Oh, is he playing or is is Joe Walsh playing? Well, if we were going to discuss trying to explain, like, the history of an individual. I was just this curious. Is, this is at Walsh Freedom. Okay. Known as uh, the conservative. 
really good over here uh, overview here by one underscore. And this is what he is citing. Yeah. Elon Musk and Matt Tybee said the Twitter files would show a political scandal, but the information itself did the opposite. Walsh Freedom, 100% now siding with, actually, folks, it's good for you not to have the First Amendment. Oh, gosh, I like my, I like my, I like my chances here. <laughs> I've won this one. Mm. I like my chances. The idea that we are could not have asked for I mean, a better like, round I, of I, economic news. Out of like, respect the for the judge and jury, I don't, I don't present did nine I, different articles from ten years ago. No, I did my homework. I got like a, a good tweet lawyer. from the past seven days. That's all I got, and I went with it. Mm-hmm. So, I like this third round because they're actually very similar tweets because they're evidence free. They run, they like they they fly in the face of everything we know today at this time. Either the Twitter news or the economic news in our country. Like there was like one run up in the stock market for a day after that Powell news. And then every CEO came out and was like, I think a recession's coming. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you remember? Yes. Um, maybe, but maybe that was December 4th. I maybe, don't know. Maybe we'll see. Hmm. Um, huh. I just feel like I have to give, um, maybe this is just a little bias. I don't know, but I feel like I have to give more weight to Smug's presentation in the sense that he didn't have to provide supporting evidence. In that the tweet sits before you on conclude, its own. Before okay. you conclude, okay. The December fourth, the stock market shed five hundred. <laughs> <laughs> He's still bringing more facts. That's the thing is, like, I let it speak for itself. This is a facts first feelings. Like, if I'm allowed three. to have a PowerPoint presentation, that's a different game. Yeah. Wow. Gosh. (laughs) 500 points. This is really tough. This is really, really tough. Like, where is that in the tweet? I thought this was a game we would present tweets. Today it sheds 500 points. She said she couldn't ask for a better run of economic news. I I wish I would have led with that. That's incredible. I think think what it ultimately comes comes down to is uh, the, the, the Twitter take is great. But it's a it is a pretty similar take of most of the never Trump Arabella advisors ecosystem who've been amplifying the NBC folks like Ben Collins. And I think the shamelessness of of the Jennifer Rubin take in and of itself, regardless of other evidence, is is reason enough to give her back her crown here again. And for that reason, Holmes wins round three. <laughs> that is a close one. Is it's a fight. tough one. So uh, listen, she's she's a tough out, and I had to, I had to work hard for that smug. You made me work hard. You for really that. did work hard for it. I mean, I always fight. It's what I do. You always fight, no question about it, fellas. I think we did it. If I may say so myself, absolute banger of an episode, gentlemen. Thank you so much to our listeners. I enjoy seeing our numbers grow. Keep telling your friends and families to recommend uh, to subscribe, Spotify, Apple. So until next time, minions, keep the faith, hold the line, and own the lives. We'll see you on Tuesday. Stay ruthless. <laughs>